to Blue Talks. So the kid on this screen didn't really know much about what it means to live on purpose or to live a full, fulfilling life. All he knew is he was happy most of the time. He had a mother and a father that were together. He had the picket fence lifestyle, if not having the picket fence literally. You know, the two dogs, two-car garage. Everything that a kid sees on TV in the 80s, trying to think of the exact timeline, but early 80s, that seems to be this is what it means to live a full life. And didn't know any better. And everything, you know, the future and sky is the limit. The person here, about eight years later, so uh, the first person, eight years old-ish, uh, this guy here, this is a picture of myself I should never really reveal in public. Uh, but this guy here, about eight years older, so roughly 16 years of age, had already seen what life looked like in between. So there was a dramatic shift from that guy with the two-car garage, the two parents, to the guy eight years later. And so I want to talk today about living a fulfilling life and living on purpose. And I want to talk about the fact that it doesn't matter how old or young you are, you can do that, and use myself as the example that it also doesn't matter where you start, it's what you do next. So those first eight years of my life seemed like the perfect life, like the Mayberry lifestyle, if people still remember what Mayberry was or is. That's kind of dating some of us probably. But that other person at, at age 16, by that age, my, I, my mother and father had gotten divorced. I was being raised by a single mother. I, my mother uh, was my rock, but we struggled. So there were times whenever uh, we had to use, I remember, collectible coins to buy supper. To make, you know, that was the only way we knew for sure we could afford it, and these were collectible family coins. And uh, my mother also, there were times when she had to work overtime to buy clothes. She bought me a winter jacket one time. It took her two weeks of overtime. And so there were certainly struggles. And I used to tell this part of the story, but I didn't really share some of the other parts of that timeline because it didn't make me look so good. And I was kind of embarrassed to share it. I mean, sure, I was young. Sure, we do things that we don't think about a lot. Uh, but I realized I had actually taken a step backward towards living that perfect and fulfilling life during those years. So, for instance, on top of what I just shared with you, single mother, we struggled financially, um, we definitely had some challenges, but I was also a kid that was starving, I think, for attention. And I was an only child, my mother was an only child. And so, in those years, those eight years in the difference, I did some things that I wasn't really proud of. And I'm gonna talk to you about how I think that uh, started to lead me down a different life than I live today. So, and they seem like small things probably to some people, to other people they seem like big things. Uh, but I did some things that I'm not proud of. For instance, uh, I used to, um, my mother let me smoke in the house when I was quite young because I decided to smoke a cigar one day with a friend of mine and didn't know that cigars, you can't put them out the same way as a cigarette. You can't just go boom, boom, it's out. And so I decided to boom, boom, and then put it on my bed and then leave for the day. And so my mother came home to the house smoking and what have you. It didn't burn down. Thankfully, it burned through my bed to the ground, and it just was spiraling smoking. 
So she came home and, you know, some people wouldn't like this, but I mean, we always, we have to be authentic. My mother said, look, if you're going to smoke anyway, I'd rather you smoke in front of me than behind my back and burn my house down. And so uh, my mother, and I bring this up for a reason. My mother let me smoke in the house when I was quite young. And then so being an only child and getting a lot of my own way for a while and all of a sudden when I couldn't financially, um, my mother would give me more than she probably should have at the time to go to school, to buy snacks and things like that. And uh, I felt I needed a little bit more to cover my smoking habit as well. And so uh, for a number of nights, I, at two in the morning, I would reach in to my mother's room and take $20 out of her purse until one morning a hand caught my hand grab arm caught my hand and it was her new boyfriend uh, who caught my arm and decided to wake her up and tell her what had been going on and I think he had been on to it for a couple of nights and this was the night he decided to catch me and so my mother woke up and basically said I'm not going to ground you I just know I can never trust you again which if any of you have ever heard that you know that's worse than any kind of grounding and so I, I mean, I did uh, another thing that I've never shared even publicly before, but, uh, and I don't even know why I did it, but I got a BB gun and I thought it'd be a great idea to shoot it in the neighborhood. So I shot it through the window of two elderly people and they had six pugs. <laughs> it was chaos. And, um, and thankfully they forgave me. I mean, they could have pressed charges. I actually, my mother worked for the city with the cops. So each one of these incidents, the cops are showing up at my house. You can imagine how much my mother liked that. And so I bring these things up because I hear so many people say to me, you're so lucky to have this happen. But I believe at the end of the day, uh, it's easy to look at our circumstances and say, this is going to determine who we are. And so if those circumstances I just shared with you were going to determine who I was going to turn out to be, then I wouldn't probably be standing in front of you today. I would have continued to further spiral. But what happened, and I'm going to talk about this, it's the main nature of my talk, but what happened along the way is I had a couple of teachers who saw something in me and you know they were they actually showed me that I could achieve anything I wanted to uh, it's amazing sometimes I think we forget the power of teachers like I have two teachers that to this day I still know them now and still tell them you had such a big impact on my life so they kind of helped me along and helped me make it through school and get out of that habit and also we know it's about who you associate with so I started associating with different people uh, it's funny how people forget things because my mother to this day said oh he was never a problem at all <laughs> Never trouble at all. And, uh, and yeah, so I mean, um, if you look at my life circumstance, and I know we all have those circumstances. I was also bullied uh, when I was younger by multiple people. Um, we also, my mother had two nervous breakdowns while I was really young um, because of somebody then in our life that was basically harassing her and saying they were going to take me someday from school and they'd ne she'd never see me again. And so all this stuff happened before I was 17 or 18. And so if we believed our circumstances, what happens to us dictates who we become, then again, I would argue that I wouldn't be standing here today. But what Kurt righted it for me was, again, just a couple of teachers that just started showing uh, appreciation for who I was and supporting me. And so what happened was I graduated high school. I share this often. I didn't know the difference between fiction and nonfiction when I graduated. I, uh, I got a, actually, I got a 49 plus one in one of my classes, which basically means I don't think I legally, and I shouldn't say this in public, I don't think I legally graduated. Because <laughs> I doubt I landed at 49. I feel like he had, I would have been at 47 or something, and he put me to 49 and then gave me the plus one. But it was my history teacher, and I got a 49 plus one. So I basically didn't graduate high school. And, uh, and I will say the last part to that is uh, I didn't read a book until I was 27. And when I told my mother that I wanted to write a book at about 25, she said, I think you have to read one first. <laughs> so I read a book 
called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and the rest is history because that book changed my life. So I tell you a bit about this just so you know my backstory, but I want to tell you about what actually I believe changed my life from that person there who, by the way, was not living on purpose, was not living fully, who was not living to their potential, to the person today that lives like every day could be, could be my last, while also planning like I'm going to live forever. By the way, that's a Gandhi quote, very paraphrased, but plan uh, like you're going to live forever, but live like you could die today. And so I want to talk to you about three stories that changed the trajectory of my life. First one is actually, since we're in Alberta, Canada here, uh, the first one took place in Calgary, in Alberta. I was at a racquetball tournament with a friend of mine, and I was watching uh, the racquetball court where two people were playing in front of me. I was sitting there, I remember I was like 20 years old, 21 years old, eating a bag of chips, super healthy, watching them play racquetball, doing all the work. And uh, about halfway through the game, one of the guys was back near the glass at the end, and he fell against the glass and basically slid down the length of the glass. And so people started screaming out quickly because, you know, I mean, it could have been exhaustion, it could have been anything, but people just like, you know, that's not obviously normal. And so people ran in, and the short version is uh, he had ultimately died in his mid-30s in front of me. Uh, he had a brain aneurysm, and he had been complaining about headaches, and nobody, I guess, took it seriously enough. And so this was a first big moment in my life because here I am 20, thinking I'm invincible. You know, I get to live till I'm 100. Nobody ever dies. And then I witness somebody lose their life in front of me. So this was a really big starting pivotal point in my life. And then this picture up here, it's to do with who took the picture. So a good friend of mine, whose name was Lorne, uh, was an amazing photographer. I worked with him. He took this picture at one of my music shows. And about six months after that, I got a call on Boxing Day to discover that my friend had taken his life on Christmas Eve. He was in his early 40s. And I'm going to tell you why the age is significant in a second as well, but it was another really big moment in my life. Third moment wasn't necessarily somebody I knew, but it was more the circumstance. So somebody had asked earlier today, has anybody ever jumped out of a plane? I have jumped out of a plane. And the story for me of jumping out of the plane is still one of those experiences I talk about often and I talk about in a good light, but an, a very unique thing happened the day I jumped out of a plane. So I jumped out of a plane. My mother came with me, by the way, and she said, advice to any other parents, don't ever go watch your kid jump out of a plane. <laughs> Lesson learned. And so I jumped out of the plane and we left and everything seemed normal. I uh, didn't think much more about it. And I will say, uh, we talk about bucket lists, and jumping out of the plane seemed exciting at the time, and now I barely even remember it. So sometimes we think what society says will be exciting to us. Uh, it might just be a moment, but maybe not as exciting as we think. But what happened was I left, never thought much more of it, was even forgot that I even jumped out of a plane by Monday, and then I found out in the news Monday that on the same plane I was in, another guy jumped out, the next crew after us, and he was the first person in 17 years to not live. He was in his early 20s with a three-year-old daughter. And that was the end of his story. And so I always call this the trifecta of my transformation because I witnessed three people in the matter of about two years lose their lives, all younger than 40. And so what it got me asking is, if you guys have heard the Wayne Dyer quote, don't die with your music still inside you, it started getting me to ask, did they die with their message still inside them? They were so young. 
And I knew one of them, and I knew that he really never got his message out. Part of his message was the photography, and he, he only did it for people he knew, and he hid it, you know, they hid the photography from others, like he didn't share it much. And again, I just thought about these people that weren't getting their message out. So I started asking me, am I really getting my message out? That's how I say it relates to this idea of living life fully. So I don't know if you guys know the numbers, and of course, you can find a statistic to say anything you want, so take the numbers with a grain of salt, but uh, Gallup did a poll, and they're pretty much one of the most recognized. Uh, Gallup did a poll to discover that 900 million people are living their lives without knowing their purpose and unfulfilled. Now, that's a survey. I mean, I, you could argue maybe it's more than that. I've heard numbers as high as 95% of people go to their grave without ever knowing what their purpose is. If you guys know who Robin Sharma is, wrote The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, Robin says that most people, a lot of people and most people die at 20, but they wait till they're 80 to bury their own bodies. He calls them the walking dead. And so I didn't want to be that person, and especially after I seen those three circumstances happen. So Les Brown talks about a friend of his who asked Les, do you know where the wealthiest place in the world is? My question to you guys, and you don't have to shout an answer if you don't want, but just nod ahead or, or answer or whatever we want to do it, but do you guys know, just a yes or no, do you guys know where the wealthiest place in the world is? Yes, okay. A few yeses. Who doesn't know? So most of the hands. So what Les Brown says is his friend told him the wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard. Because of all the wealth, of all those ideas and dreams that went unfulfilled, because people didn't live their full potential. What are all those ideas worth? What are, you know, the regrets they have, the things they didn't do, the dreams that died with them? And so I realized that if that's what that means, he talks about living full and dying empty. I want to make sure I died empty, which to me again means living every day like it could be my last. So from the point of that uh, trifecta that I mentioned of people in my life, that changed everything for me, I decided to start living fully. And to me, whenever I got the validation that I've been living properly was when I was on a show called Join Up Dots, and it's still a clip I use all the time where the guy says, my next guest is either 400 years old, or he's managed to figure out how to condense everything into a very short amount of years. And that's my favorite quote from a show, because it validates it. You know, the fact that I've been able to cram 400 years of excitement into a short little life. And so this is not meant to be a me ink, but just to kind of tell you, and I'll explain why I'm putting some pictures up here, but just to give you a little bit of an overview of what's happened since that guy who you know, was taking money from his mother's purse, who was doing all these things that he shouldn't have done, who was hanging around with the wrong crew. But since that time, I've been able to, the late Bob Proctor's on there, I've been able to do things like hold Bob Proctor's 57-year-old copy of Think and Grow Rich in my hand. If you can imagine what the energy was like with that book or to uh, you know, shake hands with Lisa Nickel and you know, have her tell me it was one of her favorite interviews. I mean, these are life dreams for me. And to move over here, surf in Tofino, British Columbia, even though I can't swim. Now, I don't recommend that for anybody and I don't think you're supposed to do that. <laughs> but I love the fact that I was willing to try. And I got to perform at Second City, the, the prestigious comedy club as a comic over the years who basically started out with my first, and some of you have heard this story, first time I ever performed on a stage, I didn't even turn the mic on. 
So for the guy that didn't know to turn the mic on to perform at Second City was a really good full circle thing. Uh, I got to actually experience the, the life of a volunteer fireman. I was talking to somebody about this today. And, you know, I, and first of all, I realized I'm not strong enough to be a fireman. The, the stuff they have to carry, I, I mean, I was just blown away by uh, how impressive that is. We've had the opportunity, I've been able to uh, go at Sedona on my 40th birthday with my girlfriend on horseback, which by the way, somebody saw that I was going to do in a reading. With, and, without, and I didn't know where Sedona was when they told me that. Uh, or going to spend a night in a treehouse with our kids. You know, and to me, this is what now living a fulfilling life is to me. Or to speak at Harvard after being told by my vice principal that I would never amount to anything and also barely graduating high school, as we heard, but to speak on the stage at Harvard was a big jump. Or, just as meaningful to me, is on the far left to speak at the Boys and Girls Club in Brooklyn, because I was a product of the Boys and Girls Club, raised by a single mother, and wouldn't have been able to go play sports without the Boys and Girls Club. To go speak to at-risk youth about that is a dream come true for me. To be able to sit in the same chair that Wayne and talk to his daughter Serena over the years in Florida. And I could go on and on. It's not meant to be about me. And the reason I share those things, I want to explain why I share them so you don't think it's a me ink thing or an ego thing. The reason I share those things is because if you notice something there, did you notice a common theme? None of them, zero of them are about money or material wealth. Did you notice that as I was going through? Do you notice what they all are about? Experiences, life experiences. And so it took me a long time to realize it, but in living so many rich life experiences, that's what life should be about. That's what living a fulfilling life is to me now. So what I want to wind down with is how I got there. You know, how I got to the point where I'm living a life that, by the way, I had a client of mine, and he said, this is how he described it. He said, every day I'm painting, Corey. And some days it's a Picasso. And other days it's crap. But at least I'm still painting. And that's how I look at my life. At least I'm still painting. And so why I shared a bit of that journey with you is because that's me painting. Now, people often say to me when they see pictures of me with a celebrity or what have you, oh, you're so lucky. And what I want to put out to you is if you only knew how much work goes into becoming lucky. Meaning if they only knew how much work went into meeting that person or sitting at Bob Proctor's house by his pool. I mean, that's months and months and months of work. That's not just me calling up somebody and saying, hey, can you arrange this? And so I want you to realize it does take work. And so, what are the three things I did, and I can share multiple, but what are the three strategies I employed that allowed me to get to this place? And it's all, just so you know, it's all about mindset. Everything I employed is about mindset, changing my mindset. So the first thing is you can see a picture of a newspaper. So one of the first things that I did is my mother was diagnosed with um, cervical cancer 18 years ago. It's in remission now, but when she was diagnosed with cervical cancer, the doctor gave her a prescription and it blew my mind because it was written on a prescription pad. And the prescription, when she got to the car, said, don't watch or read the news. That was his prescription for conquering cancer. And so my mother took this on. And she went on what I call a news detox. And I joined her. Figured if she's doing it, I'm going to do it too. And so I went on a news detox. And by going on a news detox, my mindset, I could literally watch it change day after day. And it got stronger and stronger. And so I started teaching people, if you want to have... Uh, the type of success that you're wanting to have, look at the people uh, who, you want, who you want to emulate, what are they doing? In most cases, they're not reading the news. So I said, you need to go on a news detox. So what people came back to me always is, 
well, I can't go on a news detox. I need to uh, be informed about what's going on in the world. And we had um, Dr. Joe Vitale on the show the other day, and he, Dr. Joe Vitale, or Dr. Joe, said, when it comes to uh, watching and reading the news, even if I don't watch it, I'm going to be informed anyway. People are going to tell me anyway. If the world's coming to an end, somebody's going to tell me. You were actually interviewing him, Scott, so you know that's true. And so I've said that for a long time. You'll get informed anyway. But if you need to, this is my takeaway for you, if you need to watch or read the news, if you grab a newspaper and you, do, and you say, I'm going to read the newspaper or get it from the newspaper, then do this. This is what I recommend people do. Rip off the front cover and start at page two. Or if it's 6 o'clock news, start at 6.10. Does anybody know why I'm saying that? Because the doom and gloom is always in the front and at the beginning because that's what sells. So what I'm suggesting is, if you're willing to, go on a news detox. Some of you might decide it's not just a detox anymore, it's a lifestyle. But if you have to start somewhere, at least start by not letting the news pull you in with the negative part of it. So that's the first strategy. Second thing is, Figure out who you're surrounding yourself with and change accordingly. Uh, whenever I, I, for years, battled a hypochondriac for about two and a half years, a hypochondria, if you guys know what that is, it means any disease I read about, I developed the symptoms. I've often said I probably have coffee mugs in various doctor's offices for how, how often I was going. And uh, so I had hypochondria and anxiety for a combined four and a half, five years. And ultimately, when I discovered my passion, it kind of went away. That's why I call it, uh, I say I take vitamin P for passion or purpose. I say it's the only vitamin you can't buy in the store, but it's probably the most important vitamin you'll ever take. Having said that, when it comes to surrounding yourself with the right people, all of a sudden I was slipping back. And I noticed I was slipping back and I said, what's different? And ultimately it was, have you heard this, but they say the only difference between the you of today and the you of five years time will be the books that you read and the people that you meet. So I knew I was reading the right thing, so it had to be the people. So what I did is I made up this exercise for myself, and you guys can all practice this, made up this exercise for myself, where down the center of a page, I, uh, I basically put a line. I wrote down the names of who I spent my time with. And let's say there were 18 people. Then what I did was I put a plus or a minus beside them. The pluses were the ones that were adding positive energy to my life. The minuses were the ones that were adding toxic energy to my life. And then I just rearranged them. And what I wanted to know is how many positive versus negative people do I have in my life. At the time I did it, I had about 18 people in my life that I spent a lot of time with. 16 were more negative than positive. Is it any wonder that every day I was already starting out with a strike against me? So all I did was I figured a way to adjust that. Some people I removed, some people I reduced the time with, some people I added, you know, to, to balance it. And today I would argue that out of 50 people, I'm probably 49 positive. And so the second thing I want you to do, and it's what changed my mindset, was getting the wrong people out of my life. And if it's somebody that you really love and you're really close to, and they are still that toxic person, just reduce the time that you spend with them. And number three, I wrote down, and it took a while, I'm not gonna go into all the detail, but I wrote down a mission statement for myself. This is one of the biggest things that changed my life. And my mission statement today, it took time to craft it. Uh, I, I carry it around with me in a little piece of paper in my wallet. And the mission statement is to be the guy that motivates, donates, inspires, educates, and entertains. And if I'm doing four or five of those things throughout the day, then I'm living on purpose. And by the way, it also helps because if somebody asks me to take something on and it's one of those things or zero, it's the easiest no I'll ever say in my life. So the three things I did differently from that guy that I told you about earlier uh, that was 16 and probably made all the wrong choices, the only thing I did differently was change my mindset. And three of the most powerful ways I did it was I decided to finally go on a news detox. I finally decided to figure out who I surrounded myself with and be active in that process. And I finally decided to 
ask myself, what is my true mission, so that I can spend every day living that mission. So I want to leave you with one last note. And I put this up because my goal now is to get into that graveyard and be empty. I want to be the emptiest person in that graveyard. And I don't mean that in a hollow way. I mean, I just want to be empty. I want to be nothing left to give. It's all gone. In that wealthy graveyard, I'm okay not being the wealthiest person there. So I want to leave you with what I said near the beginning. For anybody here right now, it's not where you start. It's irrelevant where you start. It's what you do next. Thank you guys so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.